the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David may have spared Saul, but when another foolish man hurls insults, David has had about all he can take. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 10. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 10. Well, Nabal, verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not where they be from? Who is David? Just a fugitive. Who's a son of Jesse? He doesn't come from an important family. And you know what? There'd be many servants nowadays that break away, rebel against their every man from his master. David's a nobody, and you guys are just a bunch of rebels. Why should I help him? Why should I trust you? You're just a bunch of runaways. And yet, if we see closely the language in verse 11, we can see what his real issue is. Shall I then take my bread, my water, my meat, my shears? He didn't want to part with his stuff. It's always telling when someone is talking to me and they speak of my fill in the blank. It's always telling. It's not my stuff. It's not your stuff. What's your problem with caring about what someone else does with your stuff? It's not yours to begin with. It's always telling when I'm tempted to say my stuff. I'm always aware that when that's my mentality, something's wrong in here. And whatever my viewpoint may be about how the best way to do things in life is, that needs to change in my heart. Because I'm always simply a steward of God's stuff. God had blessed this man incredibly. It wasn't his sheep. It wasn't his water, his bread, his meat. It wasn't his sheep. They weren't his shearers, you know? I've, I've been in management pretty much my entire life as far as employment goes. They've never been my employees. They were never my staff. They were never my workers or whatever you want to phrase it. They're the Lord's. It's not my wife, my kids, they're the Lord's kids. It's the Lord's bride. And I'm going to give an account for how I treat his stuff. 
A Christian should never miss say my stuff. It's all the Lord's stuff. I'm just his steward. Nabal's love of his stuff, his things, that was the real issue. And when the messengers return with that kind of response to David, it does not go over well with David. <laughs> Look at verse 12. So David's young men turned their way, they turned back the, way, the road they've come, and they turned around and came and told him, David, all those sayings. And look at David's reaction, verse 13. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And then David, he also put on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men and 200 remained with their stuff. They had some supplies. And so he left 200 men behind to keep an eye on their stuff. And he takes 400 men down the road to go kill. <laughs> I can guarantee you, <laughs> I can guarantee you David's intent here is not just to go take 400 guys and kill Nabal. They're about to wipe out an entire factory of people. Now, why why such the heavy reaction from David? I mean, he's had quite a few people treating him like this thus far. Why why is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? It, It doesn't tell us. But from David's verbiage later on in the chapter, it will be clear that he's had enough. He's done. He's done being mistreated. He's done being lied about. He's done being insulted. Everybody wants to treat me like a bitter rebel? Fine, I'll show them exactly what a bitter rebel looks like. None of you have ever said words like that, right? David's reaction, of course, is incredibly wrong. As I said earlier, he's not taking 400 men to exact vengeance on one guy. He's going to slaughter everyone who works for Nabal. The Bible calls that murder. This would be a great sin against the Lord, against the Lord's people. David isn't being godly in this response. He's not even being reasonable right now. He's throwing off all restraints, and he's taking the path of least resistance to deal with his problems. Thankfully, somebody else has a reasonable heart in this situation. Look down at verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, one of, it says, a lad of the lads, (laughs) is what the Hebrew says here. And he goes right to Abigail, Nabal's wife, and he says, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute. The word actually means to bless, to bless our master. And he railed on them. He slandered them, insulted them, defamed them. But... (laughs) The word but there is because that type of response was undeserved. The men were very good unto us. We were not hurt. Neither did we miss anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were like a wall unto us both by night and by day. These guys were like city walls. Whenever they were around, we felt safe. All the while that we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore... Know and consider what you will do. The, the phrase there, it's much stronger that it means it's, you needed to know this information and you need to really think carefully about what you do next. Why? Because evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. This young guy gets it. He says, listen, he goes, what he has done here is caused a chain reaction and something is set in stone 
something is determined, some calamity, some distress, some misery is not just going to hit him, it's going to hit all of us because of what he did. Because he is such a son of Belial, a son of Satan, a son of wickedness, that a man can't even talk to him. It's interesting that this young fellow here, he defines being a son of Satan or being a wicked person as being a person that nobody can talk to. Nobody can influence you. Nabal's unreasonable. He doesn't listen to anybody. Not even certain death would change his mind. Is there anyone that can call you out when you're being foolish? Are there any people in your life that you'll listen to no matter how much you don't like what they might tell you? Does anyone have that place in your life? Because if you don't have anyone like that in your life, you're bound to make lots of bad decisions. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, later on, Solomon, long after David is gone, Solomon will say this, Proverbs eleven fourteen. He says, where no counsel is, the people fall. That word fall there refers to calamity. They're going to experience ruin, misery. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety, security. I am so grateful because I've always had people who could speak into my life at any moment. I've always had individuals that they knew that if they saw something, they could come up to me and they could say, Will, I love you, but you're off. You're out of bounds. I'm so grateful for that. Because it's kept me from making a lot of bad decisions. It's kept me from making those type of life-altering decisions that can wreck you. Do you have anyone like that? You know, one of the first questions I ask someone when they come to me and they're telling me about a horrible situation, I don't know what to do. And the first thing I say is, do they have anyone that they respect? Anyone that they listen to? Anyone that could speak into their life? And more often than not, when it's a really bad situation, the answer to that question is no. They won't listen to anybody. And I've told my kids, <laughs> I, tell, I tell young people this all the time. I say, if the people who love you the most are concerned about the decisions you're making, that should be sending up all sorts of red flags. Because if you're going to blow through all of those barricades, you're likely headed for a cliff. You're likely headed for a ditch. There's a reason that those warning signs are being brought into your life. I remember being that young. Nobody understood me. I get it. But the danger is thinking that because, well, I'm trying my best, or I believe my motives are good, is that that somehow guarantees I'll make good choices. And it does not. (laughs) Because you can be very foolish and have good motives. You can, you can be unwise. You can be inexperienced and have great motives. That's why it's good to have support systems around you. It's good to have people that can say, hey, I'm not sure that uh, responding to the famous prince in Nigeria with your bank account number is a wise decision. We chuckle. But I think we all know somebody who's made a choice similar in quality to that. But you think if you'd probably just listen to a few people, you'd not be in this situation. What's interesting about this employee is he's not necessarily coming to Abigail out of concern for Nabal. You can tell he doesn't have a high opinion of his boss. 
But what he realizes is that his master's foolishness is going to negatively affect them all. This ruin, this calamity, this misery, it's going to come upon our entire household. And Abigail knows her husband well enough to know that this young man is correct. So in verse 18, we see her response. It says, Then Abigail made haste. She took 200 loaves, 200 bottles of wine, five sheep ready dressed, they'd already slaughtered, prepared for eating, and five measures of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins. These are pressed together lumps of uh, dried grapes. Sounds yummy. Same thing, cakes of figs. That's where you take dried figs and you press them together into like a, a little bar, you know, a little granola bar or whatever. She took all this stuff and she laid them on a bunch of donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me, go in front of me. Behold, I come after you. I love it because she's saying, I'm not using you as a decoy so I can get away. I am coming. Behold, I come after you. Go ahead. You go in front of me with this stuff. I, I'm coming after you. And then it mentions here, but she did not tell her husband Nabal. Now, I want to pause here for a second. Just because you think your husband is making a really dumb decision doesn't mean you should act independently of your husband. There are better ways to handle that. I bring this up because Abigail is not trying to be deceptive here. She's not trying to act like someone who's not married. Because we will read that she does tell her husband what she did eventually. And we'll see why she didn't initially tell him here when we get to that part later in the chapter. She has a good reason. Verse 20, and it was so, as she rode on the donkey, that she came down by the covert of the hill, the hidden part of the hill. I think she came down that way because she wanted to, I don't know for sure, but my guess is she wanted to interact with David without anyone seeing. I think because what she's probably thinking is if my husband gets wind of this, he's going to come down and and come itching for a fight, and then we're all going to all get slaughtered. I don't know that for sure. But that's what it seems to be here. I don't think she's trying to be sneaky. And when she gets down there, behold, it says David and his men came down against her. The phrase there means to meet her, came down to meet her and she met them. So the servants she had sent ahead had already reached David with her gift. And so David said, oh, yeah, fine, I'll meet with her. And so now we're going to actually pause here in verse 21. We're going to pause to go back in time to get a glimpse of David's mentality as he's coming up to meet Nabal before these servants found him. And his mindset is not pretty. Look at verse 21. Now David had said, surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him and he has requited me evil for good. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David if I leave of all that pertained to him by the morning light any that beep against the wall. David was so fuming mad He'd been verbalizing his thoughts during the trip. He's marching on the way down, and he's like, Certainly in vain have I kept all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing is missed of all that pertains to him. He has required to be evil for good. In other words, I did the right thing for no good reason. For nothing. For nothing. Doesn't pay to do the right thing. Doesn't pay to help others. Look at what it's done to me. David's not the only one to ever go through that struggle. Asaph, one of his worship leaders after he became king, went through a similar struggle. Turn to Psalm 73 with me. 
We read it in our scripture reading. He starts off the psalm. He starts off with the truth. Because he's going to take us into the depths of bad attitude for a little bit. The truth is, truly, God is good to Israel. Even to such as are of a clean heart. That's the truth. Truth is this. God's always good to those whose hearts are pure towards him. I'm not good, is what he's going to tell us. <laughs> and the reason I was off is because my heart wasn't pure. I was in a bad spot. I was in a dark place. He said, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I almost went down a path that would have wrecked me spiritually. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was envious. I saw how good they had it. And he's going to go on. I'm not going to read all the verses. You can read it on your own where he talks about how good they had it and what he saw with his eyes. He said, I watched the righteous man struggle his whole life and he goes into the grave. I watched a, a wicked man be blessed his whole life and everything's good. He's prosperous and happy and he goes into the grave. And I came to the conclusion, what does it matter? What does it matter how you live? He said in verse 13, this was his conclusion. Truly, I have cleansed my hands in vain and washed my hands in innocency. I'm naive. I am foolish. I can't believe I bought this malarkey. can't believe I listened to people who told me that doing the right thing and being good pays. He said, he said but I came to a place now where I'm saying, if I'm going to say that still, I would, I would be so wrong. That's so wrong. That mindset I had was so wrong. I would offend against the generation of your children. I would be stumbling others down the same path I almost stumbled down. Now, he goes back, he says, when I was trying to understand this, when I was trying to understand how this all worked out, he goes, it was too painful for me, man. It was rough until, until I did this, until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their end. It's not just about this life. You see, Asaph came to a conclusion. I don't do what's right, so good comes back to me. You know, it's interesting. When you hear people, motivational speakers, philosophers talk today, and they talk about why it's you know, the right thing to do good things. Because, I mean, if you bring up the concept of, well, there's no God, you know, there's no standard or whatever, they say, well, but we're still good people, and here's why you need to do good, do good things. And, of course, you're sitting there, well, why does it matter? Well, no, no, this is why. When you do good things, good things come back to you. When you do good things, you feel good. All sorts of reasons where it's, you know, you get some kind of benefit. There's some type of legal contract that's working here, a karma type of thing, where, you know, if you do the good things, then you're better off. That's a lie. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach anything about legalism. That's not why we do what's right. We don't do what's right so good things come back to us. That's the very definition of legalism. I do this and you give me heaven, God. And it's the same thing if we expect that God is required to bless us because we've been good. Asaph in Psalm 73 verse 21 says, Thus was my heart grieved. I was pricked in my reins, my very soul. It got down to the, a soulish issue. I realized something's so wrong about how I'm approaching my relationship with God. I was convicted. I was spiked. 
God found something in my soul that was so off, it was so wrong. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. But here's what he understood. Despite all my bad attitude, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. And you held me up by your right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. And so what does Asaph conclude? I love this. He doesn't say, ooh, I'm going to have lots of riches in heaven or I'm going to get a hundred virgins at my disposal only. Sorry, ladies, you don't have any equivalent of that. hundred virgins at my disposal because I've been good to Allah. Look at what Asaph says in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Our motivation for doing the right thing is to please our Lord. Just like Asaph later remembered. It's because we love Jesus, right? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you want good to come back to you, keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. David, of course, is not quite there yet. He's back in the foolish part of Asaph's (laughs) song there. And so he is ready to take matters into his own hands. In 1 Samuel 25, verse 22, David says, So and more also do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave of all that pertains to him by the morning, light any that urinates against the wall. In other words, he says... (laughs) He says, so and more also God do unto the enemies of David if I spare anybody, any male. He doesn't plan on killing the the women, but he says, if I find a male there, anybody that stands up to pee, if I find him, I'm killing him. If I spare a single man that's with Nabal, may God ruin the rest of their lives. That's what David's saying. Yeah, he's not in a good spot right now. And God is certainly not down with his plan. He can say, God, do this or whatever. But God's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that, David. Because in a sense, isn't David becoming like Saul here? And it's into this mindset, this mindset that David has as he's marching down there with his sword strapped on, 400 guys with him. That's the mindset that Abigail connects with David into. Verse 23. She's got her work cut out for her. And when Abigail, verse 23, saw David, she hasted and lighted off the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be. And that your handmaid, I pray you, speak in your audience and hear the words of your handmaid. You ever been in a situation where someone says something and it's so wrong, so hurtful, so offensive, and you've not been the one to do anything wrong in the situation, and then you go home and you cry out to the Lord about it, and the Lord's like, hey, you need to go make this right. You ever been there? I don't know about you, but I'm normally like, I'm sorry, I think I heard incorrectly. What what do you mean I need to go make this right? I didn't do anything wrong. There is so much character 
so much humility, so much of a submissive heart toward the Lord here from Abigail, so much courage. Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. Kill me and be done with it. Leave everybody else safe. I mean, that's in essence what she's saying. She's hoping David won't do that. We'll get to that in a second. But she comes down. She takes the position of an inferior. Now, David's coming to murder her entire family, all of the people that work for her. And she takes the position of an inferior. She doesn't stand her ground. She doesn't put her chin up. She falls on her face before David, bows her face to the ground, right at his feet. And then she says, upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. The word iniquity means guilt, liability for wrongdoing. Let me bear the punishment for my husband's sin. It's interesting. This is not a woman who doesn't care about her husband, even though he's a jerk. She's attempting to save his life and the lives of everyone who works for him at the cost of her own life. That's what she's willing to do here. Now, she pauses at this point. That's what the colon is there for, because her hope is that David won't just chop her head off or run her through. Her hope is that David won't take vengeance upon her. She hopes that he'll give her a chance to fix the situation. And so, when David doesn't kill her, she says, Let your handmaid, I pray you, speak in your audience and hear the words of your handmaid. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.